Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Let's Talk It Out podcast. I'm your host, Alec Lifshultz, also known as Trey Busy. Hey, everybody. Uh, I want to thank you guys for taking time out of your day to be listening live, if you're listening live. And I want to also take my time out to thank my guest from last week, Andrea Boy, for coming on. She did an excellent job. It was a great show. Everybody enjoyed it. There was a lot of feedback in the chat room, and you've got to be appreciative of that for everybody to enjoy the show. So... That being said, I'm going to go ahead and hop right into it tonight. Uh, I have my guest tonight. She's a former bilingual outreach specialist. She's been a part of domestic violence subcommittees with Chicago Police Department. Uh, she was involved in a pilot project with DCFS and Chicago Metropolitan Batter Women's Network. Uh, I would like to introduce my guest, Prisma. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Alex, for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on and thank you for being willing to have, come have a conversation with me. A lot of people are, are not as willing to be as vocal about anything as far as like mental health goals or domestic violence, things like that. These are looked at as being taboo topics topics in the hood. So I want to appreciate, thank you, and I'm appreciative of you coming on tonight. So before we go any further, I want you to tell the guests a little bit about yourself, give people a little bit of a rundown or why you're passionate about what you do or what you stand up for. Sure. So um, I kind of got reeled into social services uh, straight out of college. I went to Northern Illinois University with a bachelor's in rehabilitation services. Um, and I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do in life. I know I want to help people, but I didn't know in what direction I want to go. Um, and then one day my godmother had told me about uh, this domestic violence agency out here in the south suburbs. And I'm like, hmm, OK, that sounds kind of interesting. Um, and then I kind of fell in love with what uh, I did, which was basically going out into the community and educating people on domestic violence. Like you said, it's a taboo subject. Um, a lot of people hear about it and say, oh, no, that never happens or, you know, kind of shun their heads to it and say, no, um, I have no idea what that is. And I nor, nor do I want to learn about it. And so, you know, they're kind of ignorant to it. So my job was to educate the community, whether it's sororities, fraternities, um, the church, clubs, high schoolers, wherever it was and wherever educated, education needed to be in regards to domestic violence, I was there. So, so as your title, as a, as a <laughs> former bilingual outreach specialist, what does an outreach specialist do? Like, what does that entail? Um, so I basically work with the community. Um, I worked with faith leaders, groups, clubs, fraternities. I would go in and kind of... Um, give PowerPoints about what domestic violence is, uh, different sites to look for when someone is a victim, quote unquote. And I like to call them a victim and survivor because they kind of either in the process of, you know, getting out of a relationship or, you know, they can go back into it. They go back and forth with their abusers. So um, kind of just educating people on what to look for, what are the signs, what can they do to help um, and what overall domestic violence is. Okay, so <laughs> that that, that outreach specialist just sounds kind of broad a little bit. I thank you for breaking that down a little bit. <clears throat> so tell me a little bit about like the work you've done with the subcommittees with the Chicago Police Department. Like, what what did you guys, you know, join up to do when you were working with them? Sure. Well, Alec, if you if you don't mind, um, I would kind of like to read the definition of domestic violence to kind of break it down so everyone can have like a basis of what we are going to be talking about. That sounds good to me. <laughs> sure. So, 
straight out from the book, I just want to give the definition and then I'll break it down. Um, so domestic violence is a pattern of physical and psychological abuse, threats, intimidation, isolation, or economic coercion used by one person to exert power and control over another person in the context of dating, family, or household relationship. Domestic violence is maintained by cultural attitudes, institutions, and laws which are inconsistent in naming this violence as wrong. <clears throat> so basically, all that means is domestic violence is when someone has power and control over another person. So whether that's them um, keeping their paycheck from them or keeping food from them, it's the matter of having the power and control over one individual. That's 100% true. Um, a lot of people think they, they limit domestic violence just being physical abuse when there's multiple ways you could f abuse somebody outside touching them or putting your hands on them. You could abuse somebody without even thinking to put your hands on them. You could mentally and emotionally abuse them regularly. And that's to me, lasts a lot longer than putting your hands on them because you break them down and make them feel like they're insignificant <clears throat> and that they're they become insecure and they feel like that, you know, they need your approval to make it through life or make it through their day. So. Yeah, I definitely that, agree. That definition is a hundred percent on point. So that <laughs> it, it, it's sad because a lot of people don't realize it. It, it. They think that's normal because they grew up in households where that's what they see. And they think that's normal interaction between people. Mm-hmm. And they recognize it as a normal thing. So, a lot of times, um, and a lot of people don't know, but um, one in three women, and I use women basically as a victim because, I mean, I'm not saying that men cannot be victims, but majority of them are women. So one in three women in America will experience some type of domestic violence, whether they know somebody, whether their best friend is, whether, um, you know, their dad was an abuser to their mom or something. So, like, that's one in three women, which is absurd to me. Like, wow, like out of. Three people, one of them has experienced it in their lives. And it's crazy to think that, um, I was reading a statistic that said, I think they believe 50% of, of domestic violence cases don't get like reported. So it's like 50% of them aren't talked about or they're not made aware of them. Which is a, it's a crazy statistic to think about. Half of them are not reported. I want to know how true that is. Like uh, from you not being able to be an expert and being in the field and around that is that is that a true number or is that just like random mumble jumbo? Oh yeah, that's a hundred percent true. I actually think the uh, the number is higher to be honest because there's so many reasons why uh, victims choose to stay in a relationship, and we can go over those uh, reasons as well. But out of those reasons. Um, a victim is going to stay on an average of seven times. So that's them telling you this is going on, but I'm going to go back. So I'm going to go back once. And then you're telling them you have this to make, or maybe you can do this. And then they're like, okay, cool. I, I can leave, but I'm still going to go back. So that's an average of you telling that person seven times, like, hey, there's other options, but they're always going to go back to their um, abuser. Yeah, they just they become accustomed to being around this person, so they feel like this is their comfort zone. They don't they're afraid to step out of their comfort zone, even if it is as horrible and disgusting as it as someone can be with somebody. They feel like this is the person for them. This is who they're used to, and it's not gonna get better than that. A lot of people have yeah, a, a lot of people a lot of people have a fear of the unknown. They they're afraid to to be alone, so they want to stay with somebody, even if it's not good for them. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll endure so many types of abuse that they would take a step back and look at it and like, oh, wow, I never even knew that was happening. So we could uh, break down the types of abuse as well. So, you know, of course, there's always physical abuse. There's slapping, kicking, pushing, pulling, um, whatever physical interaction. That's physical abuse. We know that for sure. Um, emotional and psychological abuse. So a lot of people think like, oh, because he didn't put my hands on me, you know, I'm okay, I'm all right. But no, he could be mentally destroying you, mentally telling you, you know, you're not, you're not shit. You know, you'll never be shit. You know, uh, I'm the one supporting you. You're the only reason you're alive is because of me. You know, I keep you around, mentally draining you. <clears throat> we all know that's like, you know, an abuse, um, as well as sexual abuse. A lot of people. Um, in the domestic violence community, like they they tend to think like, oh, well, because I'm married or because I have a ring or because I vow to be with this man forever, um, I should please him in his desires no matter if I don't want it. Like that's completely false. If, you know, you choose to say no, then it's a no, regardless if you all are married. Um, so that's definitely sexual abuse. If, you know, he's making her watch pornography and she's not in the mood, that's actual sexual abuse as well. Um, there's also hold on, property hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sure. people make people watch pornography yes they do yeah and that's sexual abuse definitely I've heard that a lot with some of our former clients where they legit did not want to participate in any type of sexual activity however he made her because he wanted it he wanted to be her, her to be in the mood I guess he would think like, okay, well, let me sit this in front of you and have you watch it and maybe something can happen. But obviously, you know, no means no. No means no every time. And there's no discrepancy Period. between that at all. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say hello to the chat room. Everybody's coming <coughs> in saying hi. Um, hey, everyone. Let's see. There's a lot of feedback. Uh, B-Lip Show says abuse is sensitive addiction and mind control. Dan said, hey, he waited to his break from work to, to come in. Thanks for saving your break for the show, man. Appreciate it. Uh, B-Lift Show says, prisoner war in your home with tremendous PTSD. That's that's true. You feel like you, your, any reaction you have is going to cause that person to flip out, so you act a certain way to keep them from mm-hmm. acting like that. Gladys, hey, what's going on? Everybody say hi tonight. Uh, Sharon says, so true, the sexual abuse part is real. It's very real, apparently. I, I wouldn't yeah. know, but... You know, Prisma said it's Prisma will know she's the expert. I would I didn't, I, didn't, I just found out that people make people watch porn with them, which mm-hmm. I think is completely clinically insane. So I had no idea. Really draining is definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> no, yeah, and this I mean, a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people, a lot of these abuses get swept under the rug, or people just don't know about it. But it's something that you know mentally drains you so um, moving forward also property abuse a lot of people don't understand that you know property abuse is something huge for instance um with me I you know I have a little dog and he like is near and dear to my heart uh but I know if anything was to happen to him like like I would literally die and I know if uh, a lot of abusers tend to use that against their victims like don't leave me I will take your pet or you have nowhere to go there's not a lot of shelters that take uh, in dogs and cats so um they they feel like they need to stay um we had a client once where she left her abuser and um just like a couple months past she left her abuser she got her life back together 
as a single woman. Um, she got an apartment. And so she had left um, to go to work. And she came back. And she noticed that her porch light was on. And she found that kind of strange. She was like, you know, hey, um, I, didn't like, I didn't leave my porch light on. <clears throat> so she called the police just to make sure, you know, hey, can you all walk me in? I'm not sure what's going on. I just know I didn't leave that on for a fact. So they walked her in. And they find all her um, pictures of her and her uh, family, which have uh, passed away due to a car accident years prior to that. But those were her only memories. They found her pictures all ripped up and destroyed in the middle of a living room. Also, her clothes that she um, had in her closet, they were slashed with a knife and they were hung around the wall with a knife, like stabbed into the wall with a knife. And so, obviously, there's a red flag. Something's not right. Something's not going on. So, the police searched her apartment, and they found her abuser hiding in her closet. But, I mean, you can only imagine how she felt going in by herself. Like, whoa, like, you know, what is this? He destroyed her only precious memories that she had of her family, which was her property, which was her pictures. So, that right there could immensely destroy her. Um, and she did, you know, come back for counseling and receiving and um, you know, baby steps, of course, but that right there definitely took a toll on her to just, you know, have the only memories that she had destroyed and her clothes and everything else. That's, that's crazy that the guy was, was <laughs> like, you break in somebody's house to destroy their personal property. I mean, I've heard some stories, um, someone, I mean, women sometimes can be a little bit crazy sometimes. They think it's okay. I see it all the time on Facebook. Oh, if this dude cheats on me, oh. if this dude cheats on me, I'm going to break his car window or I'm going to slash his tire or something like that. Or this girl posted about saying she was proud of herself because she took his favorite Jordans and put them inside the bathtub with bleach. Like, what? The, like, what? Like, I, I don't see what's, why are you glorifying that? Why are people saying, yes, you know, cheering you on for doing these insanely like psychotic things. Like, I don't get that. I agree. I agree. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we can, you know, point fingers at anybody because, yeah, both genders do. Like you said, they're yes, people. Yeah, they're yeah, a lot yeah, of yes, females. they do. They definitely do. Both genders do. <laughs> but I can say for a fact, I haven't, I haven't seen men brag about harming female stuff. Now, women get on there and literally brag about slashing tires, brag about breaking windows, brag about knocking car door mirrors off. Like, what, like, why are you bragging about being uh, psychotic? What is this, the fucking Batman or your Joker or something? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I just don't get it. I mean, it. yeah, you never know. Maybe they were once in the relationship who had the power and control and just, you know, didn't want them to leave. And you have no idea what they're going through or what it was or that made them let, tell you, what, you know, you, leave you, to You that. are an evil piece of shit if you take my favorite cereal and pour it in the, in the toilet and flush it. Like, that's just, you are from Satan himself if you're willing to do that. Okay, if you pour all my Captain Crunch or my Cinnamon Toast Crunch down the toilet, you need to go to jail. That's all I'm saying. I understand. It's near and dear to your heart. <laughs> Definitely, especially in the morning. Everybody in the chat room is chat room is like literally just chiming in. They're going off. They said, uh, "Making you reenact is it crazy or glass says That's so scary." Uh, Belisha says, Psych "Psychotic behavior is pure evil." CB fan says, "That's nuts." Uh, Miss Lawrence said, "Men are sneaky when it comes to abuse." Yes, they are. They don't talk about it. They just make it happen. Uh, yeah, they Brit do. Brittany said, that is so sad. Shaking my head. Very scary situation. She was a real basket case. That's my... <laughs> <laughs> she was missing some She was missing some sandwiches for a picnic. That's for sure. 
I'm sorry. That's not funny. Um, <laughs> people are putting laugh out loud. I'm sorry, Prisma. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, and so, like, the last type of abuse I would like to talk about is financial abuse. A lot of times, um, one of the reasons that victims stay is because, you know, they don't have money. Or, or if they did have money, every time they would come home from work, their t- paycheck would get uh, I know a lot of our former clients have always talked about that, about, oh, well, he's in charge of our savings or he has um, the say in our, in our account or we um, he made me join accounts because he didn't trust me. And so because of that, you know, she no longer has control of her money and therefore she cannot leave or have, you know, any type of resource to leave. So, so, this, so, so this man has, he's in charge of all the money and he's using that as leverage over her to keep her in a relationship. Yep. That could be one of the many reasons. That, that is, that's crazy that he's, you know, again, like you said, there's multiple <clears throat> forms. We said it earlier, there's multiple forms of domestic abuse. Um, it's not all about hands. It's sometimes it's mentally and emotionally abusing you and also financially, apparently, someone has a control of all their money and they, they earn it all the money. And now granted nowadays more so than ever before with all of us millennials, you know, we, we are, most of us are working our own jobs. Women are have their own jobs. They're successful in their career fields. They're moving up. They're making their money. So they're not really dependent on men no more. Like how they used to be back in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, things have changed, you know, drastically, which is a good thing because if you are feeling like you want to move on, you don't have to, de- Depend on somebody, you don't have to worry about money. You could just do what you gotta do, which is a great thing. Just saying. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah there's a lot more resources and things like that for women, but there's always gonna be those old-fashioned uh, people who like to have joint accounts and like to have <laughs> everything for you. The, the, yeah, I mean, you could still, I mean, granted, it's nothing wrong with that still happening. There's nothing wrong with someone taking care of you. But like I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's less likely that one person is taking care of everything. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's less likely that one, that one person is able to, to pay for everything in this day and age. So, uh, Dan says, I dated a girl for six years. And when she brought up joining our accounts, I said, I didn't want to do that because I know how hard she works for her money. And I know how hard I work for my money. And I didn't want to take anything from her undeserved. Very good. You know, you, I mean, joint accounts are for like, like being married with somebody, not just, you know, we're in a relationship, but that's not, that's not what the topic is about. Now we're we're not going to go to that. (laughs) I'm just saying. So a lot of times. Yeah, I agree. That's a whole different. (laughs) So, Prisma, a lot of times with, with, with domestic violence, it, it creates separate uh, mental health problems for people. You know, they, 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 they develop, like, anxiety or they, they develop a depression or something like that. Can you give me an example, like, sometimes how you, like, encountered somebody that you felt like they developed, like, anxiety or PTSD or depression just from dealing with domestic violence in the past? Mm-hmm. Um... I'm sorry, you broke up, Alec. I didn't really hear your question. I, just, I want you to give me an example of time where in the past where you, because domestic violence, sometimes it creates separate mental health issues like anxiety or depression or something like that or PTSD. I want you to give me, like, give me a little bit of a, uh, like, example of, like, how you met somebody that, that they had dealt with there. So tell me about a time you've met somebody that they were dealing with a separate mental health disorder because of 
domestic violence? Yeah, so just um, just in general, a fear, fear of um, finding that individual again, saying that, you know, you broke up with an individual um, and the victim's trying to rebuild their life and just the fear of like, oh, well, he knows where I live now or he knows where I work now or what if he pops up or let's say she's out in a dating field again and she's at the movies and, she, you know, she's she's getting anxiety because she doesn't really know where he's going to pop up at. And, but she knows that that was his, abu- you know, that was her abuser and he had power control over her. So just the fear of, like, not always knowing what's going to happen um, is what a lot of our clients experience. Like, they experience fear and the, um, anxiety and not knowing and... Um, just not wanting to go back to that whole power control with their abuser. So how do you guys go about helping them get past that? Like what, what kind of treatment or what kind of, um, ways you help them like, like knock that out, like, or not just knock it out, but, but cope with it. Like what ways do you have outside of medication? I'm sure medication is an option, but, but give me something else outside of that. So the first thing uh, we do, of course, and I mean, I would advise anyone who is, you know, in a a domestic violence relationship or who comes to you as a friend and tells you, confides in you and tells you about it. uh, We first, you know, don't ignore anything that they're saying at all, whether it might sound, you know, absurd or it might sound off the wall. Don't ever ignore it because, you know, that one thing, it might just click and you're like, whoa, I could have saved their life. So don't ignore don't judge and um what we try to do is always empower the person always um encourage them to not necessarily focus on their relationship but focus on them themselves because at the end they they kind of lost a little bit of themselves along the way in their relationship or they never really knew who they were without the relationship so you try to we try to empower them and try to have like different exercises and different techniques like little things as far as like, hey, well, let's go get our nails done or um, let's go get our hair done or let's go to the gym and kind of just empower. Because if you if you look good, you feel good majority of the times. And, you know, we do a uh, little worksheets to try to get to our goals, things that are more so focused on yourself rather than focused on a relationship, because you have to focus on yourself before you focus on the things around you. And we try to tell our clients that um, before anything. <clears throat> that's good that you help them refocus their energy on something positive like building themselves up you know that's more that's the most important thing you need to make them feel like they they don't need that person in their life they don't need that no. type of stress they don't need yeah. that they are, they're a way better person without them around so um b lift show says the fear of not knowing whether he will kill you or not most abusers say i'll kill you if you leave me or i can't have you if no one will regaining self-image self-esteem is crucial it's very crucial. That's why I encourage people. Like, even if you feel like, oh, the gym can't do nothing for me, I'm telling you, like, setting little goals for yourself in there, and like a comp, and like you, when you're in there, you, when you're working out and you lift the heavy weights or even just regular size weights, you feel like you are leaving out all the negative energy. And you're focused on this one thing to, to accomplish that. You're accomplishing goals by lifting that stuff, and it really helps me out specifically when I'm dealing with something. I go there and I just, I lift and I feel relieved from from doing that. That's my thing, going to the gym. 
you know, I talk about it regularly, but I was I'd like to reiterate it just so people know. Like I don't just go there for physical benefits. Mentally, it helps me out a lot. It helps me deal with anxiety when I'm, I'm feeling anxious about something or I'm nervous or I'm, I just I just need to let something out. I go to the gym and go there, and that's how I, that's how I take care of that. Definitely, Dan says gym is hands down the best place to regain some self confidence. That too, but like I said, mentally, man, you help you feel much better after having a great workout. You know, you release endorphins and you just you feel clear. You know, it's like a, a clear clearness in your mind from my from my perspective. So um, with that being said, I'm going to move on a little bit. Uh, Prez, I'm going to get a little bit more personal. I'm going to ask you a little bit about, you know, when you were growing up, like when did you first encounter domestic violence? Like was it in your house? Was it a friend? I don't know TV like the, I mean it's it's like you said it's everywhere and it's, most of the time it's not being reported. I, I'm just gonna get a little bit personal here. Yeah, it is everywhere. Um, well, honestly, you know this is a real show, and I I want to be truthful with you all. Um, and I think only like two other people have in my life know. But yeah, I grew up I grew up in a domestic violence household. Um, I watched my dad beat the shit out of my mom multiple times. Um, and it wasn't okay. It was never okay. Um, there was times where I interfered. And, it, you know, and it did take a toll on me overall in my relationships in my past. Um, and it was a lot. It was a lot growing up, you know, watching that as a little kid. Um, eventually, my father did get help. Um, and I think this is where a lot of people feel like there's controversy. Because people are always like, well, abusers are always going to be, be abusers. And they're always like demons inside of them and the Senate third and I mean I agree there's demons in every one of us um however you have to deal with them um and so my father got help um is he better he's way better but he's not where um a hundred percent like he still says little things um nowadays to my mom and you know I always tell him like hey dad let's calm down or hey dad let's watch our tone and you know he reverts back like okay, you're right, let me let me calm down, let me work on my own self, but um, it's definitely gotten better. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I guess domestic violence kind of just came back into my life, like, hey, you need to help people out too because you've been through it and you can talk about it and you've seen it growing up, so. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I asked you that because you seem very passionate about it as far as, like, finding ways to intervene with it and helping people cope with it. I figured at one point in your life that you were able to be not able to, but you, ex- you experienced it like not just like directly with yourself, but growing up, you've seen it some way in some shape or some form or fashion. Otherwise you wouldn't be as passionate about it. You know, you wouldn't be as willing to, to work so hard towards helping people out that are dealing with it or coping with it. Oh yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I've seen the, all the types of abuse, except, thank God, sexual abuse. I haven't seen that in the household, but yet it still happens. So, you know, we still let people know that it is something. I mean, I can recall a time when I was young, and um, I remember it perfectly in my head. It was the 4th of July. I came home, and I saw my mom on the ground, and she was, like, bloody, and she was, like, legit just got done. My dad just got done beating the shit out of her. And I'm like, mom, what's going on? What's wrong? And I had went out with some friends and like, I just got home. It was like eight o'clock at night. 
And she was like, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know, moms, they're always trying to be strong. Like, I'm okay, don't worry about it, you know. And I'm just like, what do you mean, don't worry about it? Like, I was probably like 16 or 15 at the time. So I was like, um, I was like, it was the dad again, wasn't it? And, he, and she was just like, I'm okay, you know. He just got mad because I wore black. And my dad hates the color black. Like, he just hates when someone wears all black because he feels like it's some type of, I don't know why, he just feels like it's some type of thing, like, like people are planning against him, like, on his funeral or something. And I'm just like, and I'm, I'm looking at my mom, I'm like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, I just wore black and it was my own fault. And, and I know, I know he doesn't like black and I shouldn't have never worn it. And in my head, I'm like, mom, mom, like, you can wear whatever you want to wear. Like, you know, it's okay. And so. I mean, that that day, it just struck me even harder because, I mean, I've seen it. I've heard it when I was a little kid. Like, I, they would always tell me to go in my room and shut the door. And, but, you know, of course, you would hear in the background dishes clashing together. People, my dad throwing beer bottles. Like, it was a lot. It was a lot growing up. But, you know, like you said, I'm here to educate people more on it. I'm here to help people more on it. So, yes, your your story is very powerful. Um, everybody, uh, Miss Lawrence says, thank you so much for sharing your truth with us, Prisma. <sighs> B. Lifshow says, this testimony makes me shiver. The, the abuse and its effects is a constant fight and against stand against the memories, empowering self with self-talk. But it's all about breaking generational curses, right? Like, I mean, I'm 100% sure when your dad was a little boy or, you know, a teenager, he didn't, he didn't tell himself when he get married he's going to harm the woman he loves. You know that 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 behavior is generational. It is passed down from the parents and the grandparents. It just keeps coming down. It's like mentally embedded into the into their DNA for the, for them to feel like the need to do, to just react that way when they're upset. You know, you're upset about something, you immediately just snap and put your hands on somebody. That's that's not something that you just like wake up one day and decide to do. It's something that that's just planted in you. It's something that he's seen growing up. You know. So it's up to the generation now to, to, to stop it. You know, just don't let it continue. Yeah, I definitely 110% agree. Um, I mean, as we as I got older, I did have a talk with him and I asked him, you know, what was going on? What happened? And it's exactly what you said. It was a generation thing. He grew up um, watching my grandpa beat my grandma and then he left at 13 years old and from then on he was like i don't know something like cut off from the family they never showed him any love they never cared about him and he just had this so much built up rage that he never knew how to express his emotions he never knew how to express them in a healthy manner and so because of that you know he took it out on my mom which is never okay to take out anything on anyone period it's never okay you need to Deal with yourself on your own. You don't need to lay down with somebody. They didn't. They didn't do anything to deserve that kind of behavior. No matter what they did to quote unquote make you feel upset. You know, just because they make you feel upset, like the whole thing, the the story, this what you told about him hitting your mom because she wore black. Like, come on, man. You know, that doesn't that doesn't even make sense. You know, like you said, you like yeah. you should be able to wear whatever you want. Um. Like, granted, yeah. I, have, I have the same kind of story. I mean, I grew up, I've seen things in my house. My parents, um, you know, God bless them. You know, I love both of them very much. But, you know, they, I grew up around domestic violence myself. I've seen it. I've heard things myself. And 
it it did you know it, it it did a lot to me as far as like mentally you know you're a little boy you know you hear mom getting hurt that 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 does something to you you know that messes you up a little bit so it does when it I, does when I um you know when I grew up I told myself uh, I'll never do anything you know like what and that's 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 a big trick you know I told myself when I was younger I was like. I would not. I don't want to be like my my father. But instead of asking that question, I need to ask. I, I learned when I got older. I need to ask myself, why is he the way he is? You know, why does he act like that? That's why I said what I said about it's a generational curse. You know, people grow up inside messed up houses where they're abused by their moms or their moms, their their father or their mom's boyfriend. It's like it it just keeps going on and on. And it's up to us to stop it. You know, it's not gonna it's not going to just stop on itself. We not if we don't do anything about it, it's gonna keep going. See what I'm saying? So, when I was younger, like I said, I did, I did, I told myself I didn't want to be like this person growing up. But I never asked myself why was this person the way they were. You know, I knew the story about your dad. That's why I said what I said. I I knew for a fact that he he grew up in an abusive household, just from what you told me. Isn't that amazing? How I knew that. It is. It's very amazing. Definitely. I mean, because a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people, unless you live through it or go by it, a lot of people do not know that it is a generation thing. It's passed down. It's a behavior. It's a trait. They learn They learn this behavior from someone from somewhere. So There are psychologists and doctors that believe that mental, uh, mental conditions are passed on genetically. You know, certain types of anxiety for certain things, certain types of depression from certain things are passed on genetically. So someone that's great grandmother was in World War Two or in the Holocaust and she just, you know, she's dealt with anxiety from feeling like she's going to get captured by the Germans or something like that. And then, like, you don't realize why the great granddaughter or the granddaughter has issues sleeping at night. She wakes up at 2 a.m. freaking out and she doesn't know why. That's because your great grandmother dealt with anxiety the whole, her, basically her whole childhood, her whole teenage years from thinking she was going to get captured by the Germans and stuff like that. It, it passes on like that. And nobody realizes it. You know, not people are not aware of that, and it's up to us to make sure we share that word with people. Like, not not just exactly that's a random example, but anything is passed on. Any type of feelings or chemicals that are in your mind from how you feel are passed on from generation to generation. That's just how it works. So, environmental and family believing it's okay. It's what B. Lift Show says: maturity and a real man accepts responsibility. That's that's definitely true. You accept responsibility for the for the reason why you are, and you work towards changing. Why you are the person you are. You work towards becoming who you should be. Yeah, I agree. For years, um, after I saw that occur, like, I hated my father. I despised him. I never want to look at him. You know, in my mind, I'm like, how could you do that to a woman that loves you? You know, I was 15 years old, so I didn't understand at the time. And I definitely... I definitely understand, you know, later on in life, like he was battling, battling his own demons. I had nothing to do with my mom. Like that person, like she was just there because she was just the one getting all the rage of the fire. And he had to live up to his own demons and his own mistakes and everything like that. So your, your father, your mother sounds like a very, very, very strong woman to be able to, to deal with that and be accepting of that and understanding that. Cause she sounds like she understands what we're talking about. And but then still be able to raise you guys up, you know. That's um, that's a very strong person indeed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she got married at a young age, so she's she's very strong. Right, I always give her kudos for always, you know, staying, 
And I don't think, I mean, when I say staying, you know, I don't think she should have stayed. I mean, she obviously could have, she obviously could have left. And I think um, when it comes to domestic violence, I feel like victims should always have that option. They should always be reminded that that is an option that you can always leave. Um, but, you know, in some cases, there are some times where the abuser can go and get help and hopefully relearn behaviors that help them cope with old behaviors that were unhealthy, which is what my father did. Well, that's good. I'm, and I'm pretty sure a lot of intense therapy was involved, right? Oh, yeah, a lot of intense therapy, years of it. Um, he's not in it no more. However, you know, he's always using coping mechanisms like, you know, walking away, blowing steam somewhere else, you know, doing an activity. Like, he loves to go outside and garden and doing things like that to get his mind off of things. So that's what he would do a lot of times whenever he would get agitated or angry about something. So the, uh, Therapy is something that, and I talked to my mother about this. I mean, you say your father's not in no more, but therapy is something I always encourage people to, to go to, even if you feel like there's nothing wrong. You're just sitting there and talking about what's on your mind. Or even if they, like, you know, you you could feel like there's nothing wrong with you, but you get in there and start talking, and, you know, you'll hear some feedback and be like, oh, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe I do need to work on that, or maybe I do need to change that by myself. Um, you know the techniques. And granted, it's all about finding a therapist that fits you and your personality. Not every therapist works for everybody. You have to find somebody that's good for you. And that's the tricky part. Find someone that yeah. you're good with. But once you find somebody you're comfortable with and you're able to open up with them, that's when things become start flowing better for you. I uh, definitely agree with that. Um, there's this, uh, I was listening to something earlier today, actually, in the morning. And it was like, there's so many therapists out there. If you go to a therapist the first session and you feel like, oh, okay, well, I'm not sure it's going to work, but maybe if I give it time, maybe it'll work. Like, no, just run out the door, go to a different therapist. Cause you know, instantly if it clicks or if it doesn't, and if it doesn't, it's okay. There's always so many other people out there offering services where you can go and you could feel okay. You could feel like, okay, this person I click with, we get along. Cool. Let's keep it going. It's not, it don't take long to realize it clicks. Trust me. You you almost immediately know. So, <laughs> a lot a lot of people, like you said, it's like, oh, maybe one day it will start working better. No, you you know when it's a good therapist. You know, you know you get a, you get a vibe and an energy from that person that makes you feel exuberating. Especially when you leave, when you leave, you just feel refreshed after a good therapy session. Feel like you're ready to take on the week, right? <laughs> but yes, I'm ready to get out there and make it happen. So, uh. I just want to change gears a little bit, uh, Prisma. I want to ask you, um, what is this? What is this? This pilot project with DCFS that you worked on? Like, what is that? Sure. So it was a project, and um, from uh, where we would educate the community. So we worked with DCFS in different locations. I was stationed at the Harvey location. Um, so different people would come in, and they would come and talk to us about different issues they, they've had it wasn't like a counseling one-on-one -on -one service for like an hour it was just like okay we all provided resources from our different organizations and then people would just from the community whenever they wanted would just stop in and just talk to us a little bit about what was going on and then from there we would kind of refer them okay um 
you're dealing with this issue. Well, this organization can help you. It was basically like a huge resource, but like in person instead of you calling places and trying to make an appointments and this and that third. It was like in person, in your face, we can help you right now type of uh, project that I did with DCFS. That sounds that sounds mentally exhausting. <clears throat> How did you make it through all that? <laughs> yeah, um, it kind of was, honestly, because it was like a everyday ordeal. Um, but I feel like at the end of the day, like that was my passion. That's what I really liked. That's what I really enjoyed was to help people. So I figured like it's just so many resor- resources out there that people get lost in a shuffle or, you know, they they're just a name in a pot. Whereas, you know, talk to them in person, you actually see a face, you actually recognize them. So if they come in for services, you could, you know, further help them like, hey, yes, we met. Um, let me get you connected to so-and-so or uh, what would you like or what do you need type of ordeal. So that's really what kept me going. Like, okay, I met them in person. I need to follow up because I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm the person to follow up with them because I led them to our organization. You did a really good job of helping a lot of people out. So that's that's definitely a very comforting feeling. Like you feel good about your about yourself for being able to do that. It's rewarding. Thanks. Well, I feel I feel good about the community in general. You know, um, it takes a village to raise somebody. I definitely am a firm believer of that. So, and you worked with DCFS, but the Chicago Metropolitan Battered Women's Network is that what is that like? Some type of that's a big program for women that are built, dealing with uh, domestic violence that that want to have somewhere where they could go and find like um, help or resources. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's a big major network that is downtown area. So basically. All of Illinois, um, a couple times a year, we host different rallies um, to kind of just bring awareness, like the Domestic Violence March. We do candlelight visuals. We've done uh, Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, which is a huge thing um, where men uh, get up in red pumps, red heels specifically, and they walk a mile to bring awareness to sexual violence against women. So. It's, um, you know, it's a lot, it's a fun, but it's a lot of great work. And it's also so, you know, people can recognize and see like, hey, what are they doing? Oh, that does happen in our community. Oh, they're totally right. You know, and not go be oblivious to what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, Dan, Dan says, I thought it was all good mentally. I thought it was all clear that I got in the chat room here and just listened and recognized some stuff within myself. And through the show, I've been able to get it out and learn about myself and better understand much more about myself and others. That's what it's all about, man. Like Definitely, Dan. Learn, learn about yourself and learn about your own, <clears throat> your own triggers and your, what works for you with coping. Not everybody's coping mechanisms are going to work for you. You have to find what works for you and you have to stick to those things. Uh, B. Lisho says the education part of abuse helps the light bulb come on and knowing every person deserves to be and feel safe in their home and live in a life to have it. Have that and strive for it at every cost. These moments are so inspiring and I love it. Yeah, that's I mean, that's what it's all about. You know, you should not there should never, ever be a point in your life that you feel like you aren't safe in your own home um, under any circumstance. You should never feel threatened. You shouldn't feel like you have to walk on eggshells when you're talking to the person that you're in a relationship with at any time. It should be open communication. You should feel comfortable and you guys should uplift each other. They should, they should feel like they can come in there and talk to you about anything. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so I like, I would like to touch base a little bit about why victims stay. I, I would love to hear it. So kind of just that, 
picking back in off what I said earlier about how an, on an average a person would stay seven times with their abuser. So these are many some of the many reasons why they would stay. And this is just a list of what um, <clears throat> what we've you know dwindled it down to. There can be millions of more reasons, but um, victims can have fear. Um, abusers could hold their children as a property, quote unquote, and say, you know, if you leave me, anything could happen to your children. I don't know how many of the stories there there has been where um, stepfathers or stepmothers have been with an abuser, and the abuser unfortunately will take out, you know, their anger, their rage on their their stepdaughter, or stepson, which would be a lot, you know, for that individual, and you know, eventually take them out too, so they could hold children hostage. They could hold the money hostage that they have as a resource to leave. There are a lot of few shelters around the South Suburban area or just in general in Illinois. There's always a waiting list for shelters. I know that for a fact. And I know that's one of, you know, many scarce resources that we have here in Illinois. And there's honestly, I don't honestly don't I don't even know of a shelter that, you know, men can go to. So I think that's a huge issue, too, that we need to bring up in the domestic violence community as well. Um, lack of support family pressure and that kind of ties in together you know a lot of times victims go to their family you know and they tell them like hey this is going on their family's like well you're married now and you're grown and you have your own issues so you have to deal with it and that that to me is absurd like someone's calling out for help and you're telling them well you're married and you made a vow to God and you have to and this goes back to the whole religion thing as well like you made a vow to God and you have to stay and you have to stick it through and that to me is crazy because if he's over here psychologically abusing you, physically abusing you, any type of abusing you, like why, why is someone telling you to stay? Um, and so they feel pressured. I know um, one of our prior victims, she, uh, she was married to this big, I think one of like the head surgeons in America. But yet he abused her. He would always abuse her. And she, she didn't know who to turn to. And she would turn to her family. And her family would be like, well, you know, he, I'm sure that doesn't happen. Like, they, they would be in denial with her. Like, I'm sure that doesn't happen. Or you're exaggerating. Or, you know, how can he do that? He helps people all the time. He's a, you know, he's a doctor. He could never do that. But yet he did behind closed doors because no one knew what it was. Except she did. And so when she went to her family, they didn't believe her. And... I mean, she she obviously got a relationship because she, you know, came to us and she told us everything. And we helped her through self-empowerment and self-love. And eventually she did, she did leave. But that to me is just crazy that nobody was trying to hear her because, you know, her husband was a big shot. Her husband made so much money and he helped people. And how could he abuse her? He's a doctor, you know. But as we all know, an abuser can be anybody. It could be a policeman, a doctor. It, you know, it has no uh, discrimination against race, uh, how much money you make, anything like that. So <clears throat> anyone anywhere could be an abuser at any time, no matter what they do. And like you said, no matter what their race is, CB fan says kudos to your guests. She rocks. You are doing a very good job. It gets a very, very, very right. The chat room was very much so enjoying what you're saying to us tonight. Um. Dan said, much love, Prisma, and everyone else. Stay strong. <laughs> so, CB fan has a question. I'm assuming this is for you. He says, how do we help someone in a financial abusive relationship? That's a good question. So, first and foremost, of course, I mean, if you don't have the means to um, help them out financially, I definitely understand. I mean, not everybody has it. 
However, I think um, before anything, in general, helping to someone who is in a domestic violence um, situation is um, asking them, you know, is this the step they want to take? And if that's not the step they want, they want to take at that moment, whether, you know, it is to leave or they're not ready yet, I would encourage someone to just kind of make a safety plan first and foremost. <clears throat> so a safety plan is basically you, um, you and that person, that victim, kind of creating something in worst case scenario. Um, something happens or you they just have to up and leave. So that would include them packing up their passport, their social security numbers, their IDs, um, maybe a little stash of cash that they had, um, a change of clothes. So that would kind of be a safety plan for them to have. And um, what I would encourage is having that safety plan somewhere, like written down on a piece of paper where the abuser can never get to. So maybe she wants to hide it in a... Uh, a little piece of pad. I know people do that all the time, like saving in a little piece of uh, pad that she has and keep it on her purse on her at all times. So she doesn't forget her safety plan. Where can she go? Where can she run to? Um, there are hotlines out here and there are emergency shelters where there are people who can, um, have them stay for at least two or three nights until she or he gets her, you know, their life together, trying to understand what they want to do. Um, so that's my answer. CV fan. That's very eloquently put in a very, very expertly way. So, everybody, like I said, the chat room is loving you. Gladys says, sorry I haven't been active, but I'm here with a friend and we're both listening in. And tonight's subject is actually something she's going through. So, shout out to the tonight's guest for real. Shout out shout out to you for coming on and being able to, to share what you've shared. It's very, very helpful for everybody in the chat room. People are learning a lot about themselves. and they're, they're, It's very eye-opening for them. To, to, to see things from perspective that outside of their own. A lot of people are afraid to talk about what's going on with them because they feel like they'll be judged. Well, not here. You know, this is what we do. We, we have conversations like this. Yeah, so, we definitely do. Brittany's saying, she says she's she's amazing. CB fan says, thank you, great advice. Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody's loving it. So uh, right now we're at like the 50-minute mark. Prisma, so I'm going to ask you if there's anything left that you would like to say. Any last words? Um, yeah, I just want to point out the last um, thing. And I'm not sure if people are familiar with it, but it's called the cycle of violence. And it's basically a cycle which goes in a circle. So there's an abusive incident. Um, so something might happen where she she didn't have the food on the table ready for him at five o'clock. Um, and she knows that he gets home at five o'clock, but she didn't have the food ready for him. So abuse of the incident might be him calling her, you know, a moron, an idiot. Why didn't she have it together? This and a third. So that's an example. And then you would fall. And then, you know, maybe two days later, you all would fall into the honeymoon stage. So the honeymoon stage kind of looks like, okay, well, I'm sorry, baby. I brought you flowers. I brought you chocolates. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean my words. Um, I was just frustrated at times. So basically him apologizing for everything he did two days ago. And then the tension building stage, which is when she feels like something's wrong or she feels like she has to have everything perfect. She has to have the house clean. She has to do laundry. So she's walking on eggshells. So he doesn't uh, crack again so he doesn't you know sit up here and hit her or sit up here and slap her or something like that so she's walking on eggshells in this attention building stage and then after the attention building stage what do we jump back into the abusive incident so something could be as simple as you know her 
not, you know, having the dishes done. Now maybe he might, you know, slap her. Okay, the incident happened. And then what's going to happen again? Two days later, the honeymoon stage. He buys her, you know, maybe the fancy Chanel purse that she wanted. I'm sorry, baby. I'm, you know, I won't happen again. So this is a cycle. Once again, this is a cycle. And this could happen multiple times throughout a domestic violence relationship. So if you see this happen where, you know, someone is telling you, oh, well, he said, sorry, he apologized. He even brought me flowers. Look at the ring he bought me. You know, he has to, he has to have meant it. I want people to know, like, don't be fooled by the honeymoon stage, period. Like, it could be all sweet and sugary at the moment. But if he definitely, you know, just switches sides like that in an instant, that's not healthy at all. So that could be definitely a red flag in any type of relationship. So I just want people out there to keep note and always be aware of that. Don't, 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 let, the, don't let the sugar it you know, take away from the bitterness from the actual relationship, pretty much. So Sharon says, yep, you hit the nail on the head. It's a cycle that just happens over and over and over. It never ends unless you break it yourself. So EJ4312 says, enjoying tonight's guest. As was mentioned, we have all experienced domestic violence in some way as a witness slash friend, family member, etc. Please not to judge a person that stays. Your role is to love them. When And if they get ready to leave, just be there to support them. Amen. You can't make somebody do what's right for them. You have to support them no matter what the decision is, but encourage them to do what you think was, you know, what, what is right for them. You can't force I definitely them. Though. Agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think first and foremost is self-love. Like, um, definitely teach them. Cause like I said, they've probably lost their way along their relationship. Cause people have to understand a re- relationship doesn't define you. You define yourself. You need to look for into it with your own self and self-love and focus your relationship with God and with yourself before anything, before you could jump into a relationship with another person. And I think that's what we need to fall back on and help that person reach their goals and empower them to focus on themselves before they focus on the relationship as a whole. That's a hundred percent true. So a CB fan, like says, this scenario is exactly what was happening to my friend. She is forced to have sexual relationships, be treated well. The man is an alcoholic. Again, CB fan, like we said, you could, you have to encourage them to, to make the right decision for their life. You can't force them to make the right decision, but be there to support them. You know, let them know that you're there for them. And, and, and make sure you give them some resources to let them know everything will be okay. That's the most important thing. Yep, always. So with resources, uh, by the way, I do have some. And, you know, we could put them in the chat room as well. Um, so there are some out here in the south suburbs. Are you ready for me, Alec? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, it's South Suburban Family Shelter. Um, and their 24-hour hotline is 708-335-3028. There's also a crisis center of South Suburbia. And that's located in Tinley Park. Okay. There's... Also, Family Rescue, and Family Rescue is a huge domestic violence agency that has multiple um, shelters and multiple locations in the Chicagoland area, period. And then there's also the National Domestic Violence Hotline. So anywhere, 24-7, a person will pick up. And that's 1-800-799-7233. So I would encourage anyone, you know, just 
give them a call. Maybe, you know, that hotline could definitely give you tips and tricks or, you know, try to calm, calm that person down. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of people that need that resource out there. Thank you for sharing that. The chat room has it. If they want to reflect upon it today or later on, it's always going to be in there. Um, just read a couple of comments real quick. We are at the 55, well, technically 56-minute mark. So I'm going to read a couple of the comments. Um, CB fan, I'm doing all I can, but controls her in every way, and she is confused. Again, make sure you give her those hotlines that we gave, the national one, so she have somebody she could reach out to to give her advice in a professional way. Uh Sandy says, I didn't think verbal abuse was enough to lead a relationship, but it's just as hurtful as physical. Yes, it is. Like we said, yes. abuse is in different forms. Definitely. Gladys says, show them that they are loved. That's the most important thing. B. Lipso says, progress over time and become more severe to the point where they put their hands on you. Yes, it does. It does build up. It's not something that just happens overnight most of the time. She was going mm -hmm. to counsel, but she found out when she hit the fan. Again, man, make sure that you, that you give her the resources and reach out to somebody if you need help you know reach out to one of the many professionals out there if you need advice or give the professionals number to that to that person and let them know that they can contact them if they need somebody to give them advice so again uh praise my one thank you for coming on tonight uh everybody who was listening very much so enjoyed you they enjoyed listening to you you had a great message you had a great story and you had a lot of great advice feedback links well, thank you yeah thank you for having me Alec and thank you so much um, let's talk it out podcast you know and every the community for welcoming me and you know being a part of your Thursday evening thank you everybody for listening uh, we'll be back next Thursday at 8pm central time you guys know the deal so with that being said uh, good evening everybody and talk to you guys soon <laughs>